This time on Insert Real Paradigm Shifters, Marie talks to Jason McNaughton. Jason is an innovator and commercial 360-degree video producer under his own brand, This Is Me in VR. That's one word, This Is Me in VR. He creates virtual reality content for social media and web portals. He is well-versed in sensory hijacking, writes augmented reality 360-degree virtual reality tech articles, and makes innovations, promotional videos, and marketing material. And now, here's Marie's conversation with Jason on Enso Real Paradigm Shifters. Jason, uh, I have sent you a little bit of information about the project. I don't know if I need to repeat. I think I will. Just yeah, if you want to explain it a little bit better, um, like it's, um, from what I understand, your goal is just to um, improve quality of life. Look for projects that have beneficial impacts and that aren't based on exploitation or profit? Exactly. For well-being of people in the areas of medicine, coaching, healing, and psychotherapy. These are the spheres of my interest. And then I also have a project in 360 Technologies and I'm looking into the um, VR technology, MR, AR, and uh, that's why I'm calling you. Awesome. Jason, tell us, please, a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Jason, um, but in the virtual reality world, people know me as Zen. Mm. And I've been involved in virtual reality research and virtual reality technology development, specifically innovation, for coming up on about seven years now. Oh, that's great. And if I would ask you, what is your passion? Well, that's, that's a tough question. I have a lot of passions. <laughs> In regards to 360 video and VR technology, I'm passionate about the idea that you can use this technology to provide uh, fundamental services to people at very low cost. Things like telepresence travel, free education, um, and the ability to capture and relive moments of time. That's great. And uh, during our first conversation, you told me that VR and AR uh, it's an evolutionary adaptation of the human species, species and um, also that you were involved in research of, um, of such a topic as epigenetics. Is it true? And could you please explain us a little bit more about this? Absolutely. Um, I definitely feel that the evolution of technology is an extension of the evolution of the human species. We develop these technologies to enable new skills and abilities that typically uh, human beings normally would not possess. Something that maybe viruses have, uh, such as the ability for one individual to learn something and then immediately disseminate that information amongst the rest of the members of the species. Um, the, the ability to use augmented reality technology to give a human being the vision of a bat or the vision of a snake, uh, meaning uh, Thermal vision, great yeah. for firefighters, things like that. <laughs> um, so we're, we're enhancing our abilities using technology. And, and it's very similar to a human being evolving these new abilities, but we're doing it through the use of technology. technology. Now, how it applies to virtual reality, specifically, the thing that interests me the most is epigenetics. Epigenetics is a field of study that's still relatively new to science or mainstream science. It used to be more of a pseudoscience, uh, I would describe it as. 
And now we're starting to realize that environmental conditions actually have an impact on your genes. Huh. They, they have the ability of turning on and turning off the gene expression. That's great. So the genes you're born with yeah. uh, throughout your life actually get what you might call an update from the environment, kind of like a Windows update on your computer. <laughs> so these environmental conditions can actually change your genetic expression. Now, mm -hmm. virtual reality is designed specifically to mm -hmm. fool the brain into accepting the reality with which it's being presented. So when you create these artificial environments that you put mm -hmm. people in, you could potentially, uh, accidentally, or in some cases on purpose, um, <laughs> alter a person's genetic expression from a virtual reality experience. So this is a, an amazing tool that we're about to have, very much like CRISPR, in that we will have a device that gives us the ability to intentionally manipulate our epigenome. And I also feel that in the near future, um, we're going to be able to use that ability to manipulate the epigenome to measure and track the changes that environments make, which gives us the ability to map the epigenome, the way we're working on mapping the actual genome. Huh. That's very fascinating. And you told me that you were in, in this field in epigenetic researching for five years. And I'm just wondering what led you to this, because not every person on earth is doing this. It's a very a rare ability, I would say. So why? Um, my background is actually in video telecommunications engineering and innovation. So playing with the new technologies and coming up with the most impactful things that you can do with it. One of my passions as a hobby has always been the pseudosciences related to subconscious manipulation. So subliminal ah. <laughs> messaging, magic, hypnosis, things that are based on hijacking um, your sensory inputs and using subtle manipulation that typically goes unnoticed because it impacts your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Now, in this world of using virtual reality, we now have these really amazing tools for doing that very thing, for interacting with both the conscious and the subconscious mind and having a very powerful impact with the, that device. Um, I find this really fascinating. So, Uh, immediately when I, when I learned of the opportunity to experiment and explore with this technology, uh, I dove in headfirst and I haven't looked back. Mm -hmm. Were you doing on yourself or in conjunction with other people this research? Um, I actually had a collaborator um, who had degrees in psychology, linguistics and hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, so when we collaborated on a five-year research project, the result of which is a book called The Mechanisms of Immersion, What we were trying to do was outline an explanation for how these mechanisms function. So how is a person so easily able to be manipulated with things such as language? And we learned about neuro-linguistic programming yeah. um, and how a person can be manipulated from uh, visual cues and visual fields. And we had a much better understanding in how illusions work. And we realized that this area of science Uh, which is sometimes called pseudoscience, which is known as a, a fringe science, is realistically the frontier of science. It's the areas of our understanding of cognitive manipulation, yeah. which we have such a limited understanding of that we almost ascribe some kind of magical, mystical ability yeah. to it. 
the placebo effect, the power of belief. Oh, yeah. But these are the very mechanisms that empower virtual reality and augmented reality technology. And what kind of practical ways of implementation of this knowledge do you see in now or now and in the future? Well, those are fantastic questions. Um, there is an un, almost an unlimited list of practical applications for this type of technology, as well as the understanding behind how it works. Yes. So therapeutic uses, uh, it's easier to list how you couldn't use it for therapy um, because it covers every aspect that you would want to do when it comes to desensitization for fear or um, like the McGurk effect for phantom limb syndrome. Yes. Um, any type of therapy where you would require being involved in a group or a one-on-one -on -one session, these are all now readily available for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but really, that's just the beginning. Because now that we're learning how to hijack additional senses, um, such as haptic feedback, we can pair that with the typical virtual reality experiences for improved um, sensory manipulation, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So when a person is in virtual reality and they're experiencing, let's say, a dinosaur walking up to them and <laughs> licking them in the face, if there's a person in the real world actually touching them in the face with a wet cloth, mm -hmm. if the timing is right, it mm -hmm. enhances that experience. It improves immersion. So the more we have a fundamental understanding of how we can hijack and trick and fool our senses, Yes. and convince the brain to accept these artificial realities as real, then the more powerful these tools become for how we can use them in positive as well as unfortunate negative ways. And by the way, you told about the negative ways. Do you see some concerns in um, implementing this kind of technology from the negative point of view? <laughs> there are many. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, the most common belief about the dangers and risks of virtual reality are based around vision. Is it good for your child's eyes? Is it, is it bad for your eyes? Mm -hmm. Are you going to, you know, run into a wall or, or, you know, touch a fireplace while you're in VR? Right. They're based on proximity. One of the bigger concerns that I have about this type of technology is, is not geared around that area, but more around um, how a brain puts themselves into a virtual environment and how they come out of it. So for example, in um, guided meditation, in uh, hypnotherapy, we use these techniques to slowly immerse someone into a, an environment where they feel safe and comfortable. They don't have to be afraid. If we give them instructions on what to do if they feel stressed, commonplace virtual reality experiences are based most often on shock. So you put someone into VR and they're immediately, you know, running from zombies. They have never really been given instruction on how to ease their brain into that environment as well as easing themselves out of that environment. So I, I definitely feel we're going to have some potential risks for potentially post-traumatic stress disorder from high-stress virtual reality environments. There's actually other things worth considering as well when it comes to virtual reality specifically. Yes. Um, one of the other concerns that I've had is that it's a very powerful tool for marketing companies to use for things like product placement and subliminal advertising. Yes. So very early on, we should establish a framework for limiting that level of impact. When they have the ability to track your gaze and everything you're looking at, 
it gives them much more power over manipulating the reaction that occurs based on what you look at. So you're going to see a dark side to the use of tracking people's gaze. There's also high risks that are associated with um, the liquids in your ear, which is your vestibular system. So if a person goes to a virtual reality arcade and spends several hours flying planes and racing cars, Mm-hmm. Um, there is the potential that their vestibular system is slightly compromised, meaning their balance can be messed with. So huh. if they leave that virtual reality arcade and hop on a motorcycle and go for a drive and get into an accident, <laughs> my question is, is that arcade responsible the same way a bar is responsible and you leave drunk and you're unable to drive? So there are more concerns with virtual reality technology than people really are aware of at this time. We're kind of a global experiment on how much money they can make by selling this before we actually do um, in-depth research and conversations about the potential risks. So for example, epigenetic manipulation is definitely something I would be a little bit concerned about. The idea that I could spend extensive periods of time in a video game that could actually alter my genes um, that raises some concerns. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we do understand a little bit about how, let's say, a pregnant woman, when she's in a high fear-based environment uh, mm-hmm. and she has elevated cortisol levels, and like the chemicals in her body that react when a person is in a high state of stress, this can have an impact on her unborn child. Oh, yes. So uh, I think virtual reality experiences, because they're not separated into classes of intensity, um, should still be treated the way we treat maybe uh, roller coasters, that they're not ideal for children, pregnant women, or people that are prone to heart attacks. At this point in time, though, if you look online, you're going to see people putting babies in virtual reality yeah. and people putting their children in virtual reality because they're like, this is just a game. It's no different than a video game. But there's definitely uh, an increase in the power of the technology because of the increase in the immersion that is provided by the technology. So I love VR and I love to play with it and talk about it, but I'm definitely aware of the potential downsides and risks. And when someone is willing to talk about it, I'm, I'm very happy, but it's very infrequent because it's not good for business. Oh, yes, I agree with you, absolutely. And uh, what are your goals and plans for the next five years? in your business and maybe personal too? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I have several projects underway. Yeah. Some involve commercial capture for real world locations that people could visit in VR where they potentially could not visit in the real world. Mm-hmm. Some are for improved methods of communication using VR technology. Others are uh, content navigation platforms. So I see in my future continuing to experiment with the new technology as it comes out and trying to find new ways to experiment with it and innovate with it and find the potential risks and benefits of the technology and then hopefully develop new projects and apps that I can help release with that. That's great. That's great. And uh, if I would ask you about your values, could you please share with us what are these values? Wow, you ask a lot of really great questions. My, my core belief, my core values are based on improving quality of life. So any project that I'm involved with 
um, and I frequently consult and help other virtual reality projects. Um, I only get involved and steer the project towards results that are based around improving people's quality of life. So it's not based on profit. It's not based on exploitation. It's based on a genuine goal to just, um, like I said, improve quality of life. I think that should be, or is for myself anyway, uh, my most fundamental value. So sometimes that leads me down a path of working for less money than I would like. And sometimes that leads me down a path um, of doing a lot more work than I intended. Um, but in the end, I find it leaves me with a much higher sense of satisfaction if I keep that as my, my core belief. So I was I was preparing to ask you another question, why it's so important for you. And you said because it gives you the sense of self-satisfaction, self-realization. Yeah. Okay, it, thank you for your answer. And, and um, I have another question. Of course, what is your mission? I know it's a big question, but <laughs> it is. appreciate. Um, I, I don't know if I have a mission aside from doing the best that I can to achieve that core impact, which is to improve other people's quality of life while using my skill set to its maximum effect. So uh, I guess my mission is just to continue doing what I'm doing because I'm, I'm happy with what I've done and I'm, I'm happy with what I have on the horizon. Um, every little bit helps and I'm always looking for other collaborators and investors who want to help me do what I'm doing. Um, but I think my mission is just to keep staying positive despite all of the challenges that I encounter. Okay. And speaking about the challenges, how do you face the challenges and overcome them? I try to face the challenges with optimism. And I would say I overcome them by sheer uh, will and determination and persistence. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's great. And um, you know, you're, it seems like you're speaking uh, from the place where you find out already who you are and what are you doing here. And uh, you realize what is your path, what it, it's all about. Uh, but you were not always like that. I mean, uh, there was a story behind that. Could you please share a little bit about your path, about your story? Realistically, I would say that this path of mine has been consistent. Um, this understanding of who I am, what I do, what my skills are, what I would like to do for the world has remained consistent for the majority of my life. I've spent most of the last 20 years doing exactly what I'm doing now, uh, mm -hmm. using and developing technology and bringing it to people who are unaware of how they could use it to improve their quality of life and mm -hmm. using the technology by innovating with it as well as educating others. So um, it's hard for me to imagine a time where I wasn't doing this. Mm -hmm. and Anyway, I have to ask this question. When did you decide to proceed with this particular path? Was it in your teenage ages or when? How do you think? I think it was a step-by-step -step creation of this mountain. Huh. So I've constantly had that summit in mind and every step along the way, every interaction with family, with friends, with employers, 
every new piece of information I acquired just helped me build a stronger foundation to be able to achieve that summit that I've been pursuing. And who you, whom you become when you're um, walking along this path, when you're walking towards your self-realization, who are you? How would you describe yourself? I'm Zen. <laughs> What does this mean? <laughs> For um, you, first of all. When you know your position in the world, when you know what you're, for lack of a better word, meant to be doing, um, and you know that that thing that you're meant to be doing has a positive beneficial effect on others, uh, it, it gives you a sense of completion, like you are accomplishing I, I don't like to use the word destiny, <laughs> but there is this there is this sense of satisfaction that comes from knowing what you're supposed to be doing, what role fits you best, where mm. you can maximize the effectiveness or maximize the results or effect or these are some tough words to use. <laughs> when you when you know how you can maximize your impact on the world in the positive. Yeah. with the least amount of, I don't want to say challenges or struggles, mm -hmm. because you definitely encounter quite a bit of those. Mm -hmm. um, you might have to come back to that question. I'm not sure how to answer it. <laughs> okay. Could you please share with us one your personal habit that you're doing on your daily basis? Maybe it's meditating, maybe sports, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, making lists. I am definitely a big fan Um, of making lists. When you have an idea, a concept, a theory, or a thought, I'm a firm believer that the sooner that you can transition it into the real world from the mind, like yeah. putting it onto paper, something mm -hmm. that you can put in your pocket, share with others, it gives you the ability to more easily pass information from your own conscious to your subconscious, mm -hmm. and you give your subconscious the ability to work on that task for you, which seems to accelerate the timeline of how soon you'll have the result because you're getting some assistance from it, even if it's from a subconscious level. Great. And what would be your main message to the entrepreneurs who are listening to us currently? Don't give up. <laughs> if you are an entrepreneur, it is most likely because you are incredibly passionate about a project that you are working on. And I would advise that You prepare for an unlimited amount of obstacles and challenges that are going to get in your way and, like a hurricane, turn your whole life upside down. Yeah. Um, but don't be afraid of those moments because they're almost always an opportunity. Though you may not recognize it at the time, in the future when you'll look back, you'll realize that it is those large obstacles and failures that were your best opportunities to learn how to adapt to be able to achieve your goal. That's so don't great. give up. Don't give up. That's great message. And you know that our podcast is uh, for and about the paradigm shifters. And my question is how and which way you test and um, shift the existing paradigm? How do you think? 
well, there is so much that virtual reality technology, AI, AR technology, um, they disrupt so many things. Uh, you could have a three-day podcast just on that topic. Yeah. So for myself personally, and I'll, I'll limit the answer to that, I've definitely realized that the desire for having a large home with a big, beautiful, scenic view has been drastically decreased by having access to virtual reality technology. Um, so I've made a shift in my life where rather than being localized in a one specific location, I've adapted to becoming a digital nomad, which is someone who lives and travels on the road um, but I travel with virtual reality equipment. So that means I can bring my office anywhere I go. Um, I can visit any class in the world. I can be face-to-face -face with friends and family. So the limitations of location are gone now, that telepresence mm -hmm. exists. Yes. And yes, I've, sure. fully, <laughs> I've fully embraced that. And so now I live and work and travel on the road like a digital gypsy huh. with an, living in a mobile tiny home that happens to have virtual reality in it. Huh. That's great. And seems like you enjoy this a lot. <laughs> I can tell that that's your passion. <laughs> uh, innovation is definitely my passion. And this, these new technologies that have come out in the last few years at the consumer level are, are the most ideal tools for someone like myself because mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's like a wild west. There is so much room for exploration and expansion that I don't think there's enough innovators in the world to be able to exploit and develop virtual reality to its full potential in less than 20 years. And I have another question, please, if you have time to answer this. Um, I am wondering, did you have time in your life when you experienced failure? And how <laughs> did you overcome this? Um, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like my entire life has been from one failure to the next. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't call them failures. They are learning experiences. They're learning opportunities. So when you say, what do I do when I face failure? Um, I smile because failure is just the world giving you feedback and giving you the ability to calibrate from that feedback. That's so I, I face failure on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, probably because I am constantly trying new things and, and taking big risks. Um, but I, I think that's something that we should seek out. I don't think failure is something that we should stigmatize and avoid, but uh, seek out and embrace because they are, in fact, the only ways by which we learn new information. Oh, yes. Yes. And what is your biggest aha moment? Uh, in the last few years, um, well, some of them are kind of proprietary. They're for apps and projects. But my biggest aha, aha moment that I've been publicly broadcasting to anyone who's willing to listen um, on the news, on the radio, at public events, uh, technology events, any chance someone will give me a microphone or let me up on a stage, uh, I want to tell the world about the combination of 360 video technology and virtual reality technology. Okay. Because there is a very important moment when those two technologies intersect mm -hmm. that is not getting the attention in the world that it should right now. And that is, aha, 
you can capture any moment in time and then relive it later on. Oh, yes. So for the last several years, I've been traveling everywhere with a, a 360 camera. And so every awesome or sometimes boring or uh, interesting moment that I've had in my life, I captured in 360 so that I would be able to share it with others. But it's given me this unanticipated ability to go back and relive moments in time. Now, I imagine that in the 50s and 60s when handheld cameras were becoming more popular, that was kind of their pitch. Take a picture at birthdays and weddings, and in the future you'll be able to kind of relive that moment through this tiny little picture frame. With virtual reality, you actually have the ability to go back and relive a moment in time and look around and see things that you might not have seen the first time around. So when it comes to anybody who has a new baby or um, an aging relative who's about to pass or is about to have a wedding or attend a concert or a sporting event or is just enjoying a location that they know they might not visit again for a very long time, uh, for me, the big aha moment is if you capture that in 360, that moment is now in your pocket. You can access it anytime you want for the rest of your life. You can share it with others. You can invite others into that moment of your past. And, and that is something that the world should be hearing And because it's been around for years, but almost nobody really is talking about it. Yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question. What makes you to keep going? You said you try to stay positive, but I'm wondering what are you saying to each, to yourself, inside yourself, when you are not that positive, then things are happening, not always positive? Um, well, this last two years has been exceptionally difficult for me. Um, okay. Because I'm one of the few people who very publicly discuss the potential downsides of risks and risks of virtual reality, I'm often views, viewed as a fear monger, um, which is really not helpful for business. <laughs> um, as well as because my background is not in photography or videography, yeah. uh, even though I've created hundreds of thousands of VR videos capturing every major city and tourist attraction coast to coast in Canada and the interior of every business in one of Canada's capital cities. I'm still not respected by the photography and videography community. Um, and even though I develop virtual reality websites and apps and platforms and user interfaces and experiences, because I'm not coming from a background of programming, I'm not respected in that community either. I'm kind of a new animal in the sense that I specialize in virtual reality interfaces, but that technology is so new, there really isn't a position that I fit in yet. So I would say that these last few years have been an absolute struggle to get out of bed every day and pursue my goals and continue. Um, but the beauty of knowing who I am and that I'm doing the best I can, I can working towards the goals I want using all of the available skills and resources at my disposal. Uh, that keeps me going because there, there is not much more that I could be doing than my very best. So I just continue to do that, and it seems to be enough to keep me going. You're very determined. That's nice. That's great. Is there something you would want uh, to talk about I didn't ask you yet? Anything? 
Oh, there's so many new technologies that have come out um, <laughs> just in the last few days that I find absolutely amazing. And if you were to ask me a question that I wasn't expecting, it would be, is there anything that has just arrived in the last few days that has triggered excitement in me, but mm -hmm. I have yet enough information to discuss? Uh -huh. would be um, a project that was recently unveiled publicly that I believe was being developed by uh, the MIT Media Labs, which mm -hmm. is a device that you attach to your head. Uh, mm -hmm. It hooks up behind your ear and I believe just below your jawbone. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it reads the muscle movement when you are thinking words in your head. Oh, huh. So that means that when we integrate these technologies to virtual reality and augmented reality that we now have this additional layer of when a person is thinking a thought or a word or a motion like forward or back or up or down um, that we can do these without a keyboard um, or pair it with voice activation to improve the response but essentially we are approaching a new type of interface with the world where we have a computer between us and the world that is aiding our interaction with it, which is, again, it's augmented reality, but it's really augmented humans. Yes. Um, I'm fascinated by it and every day new stuff comes out. And if you talk to me again in a month, I'll have much more to contribute, like how we can use it and what we can do with it. Like off the top of my head, I would say, I'd be curious what would happen if we would put it on someone that is in a dream or maybe someone that's in a coma because it would give us access to knowing what's inside them, even though at current levels we can't. Um, and there's so many more uses I just haven't thought of yet. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I can feel it's your passion, really. And uh, actually, it's my passion, too. And I have my dream to implement this in, this kind of technologies in coaching. So we can recreate what is going currently in a coach's mind in a virtual reality and to immerse the person into this reality. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much for such a great experience for your interview. And yes, I would love to talk with you uh, mm -hmm. once again or twice again. Would be nice to have you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you very much and see you later. Sure. Like I mentioned, all of the different events that I speak at, that I talk at on the news, on the radio, they've all been captured in 360 video. So those are all experiences that all of your listeners can also visit and attend using virtual reality. Okay. Maybe the next, the next cast we have together, mm -hmm. we can do it in a captured 360 and viewers okay. will be able to attend it with us. Okay, great. Let's do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bye. Thank you, Jason. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you.